glory to God. Here we are. We're all here. What do y'all want to talk about? Oh. <laughs> You were supposed to cue us, Tom. He had a plan? Yeah. He had a plan. Well, let's, let's do it together anyway. Okay. So, so what do you want to talk about? about? <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, you were too fast on me, man. I'm too fast. Sorry, like, somebody uh, said glory to God. That should have been it. I'm not awake yet. I was supposed to be the signal man. The signal man. The point man. Does anybody have any thoughts on the... Go ahead. Yes, I thought it was magnificent. It, it, I think it was last week, but you associated the term evil as far as kind of, and I'll misphrase it, but bear with me, kind of like a one-on-one -on -one correlation evil and, and seeking life through the flesh, through, through the arm of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And um, I think so often us people use the term evil to stigmatize and dehumanize other people, as opposed to, like for example, the guy, the Nuremberg prosecutor who died recently, 102 years old, he said, yeah, well, the, the Nazis, but it's psychological test. Well, the problem was, they were normal. As far as, so we use the term evil, we hijack the, to stigmatize and dehumanize other people and make things too simple, as opposed to, it's the spirit of God, or the spirit of the serpent, if you will. Yeah. You're either animated by life <clears throat> or you're animated by death. Right. If you're animated by death, you will be laboring to try to produce life. There is no way around it. If you're animated by life, you won't be laboring to produce life. Right? And those are the two dynamics that you would observe. And that's how you would discern it properly. Right? That's why Jesus came <laughs> to give us life and give us life more abundantly to deliver us from the sting of death, which would cause us to look to the arm of the flesh to try to produce life, right? When we say evil in the scriptures, see, this is why people make it so simple. They can see the fruit of death come out of a person, and they know the fruit of death is evil, meaning that it's not consistent with life, right? And that's where the knowledge of good and evil come in. Uh, Maurice and I were talking about this, but Deuteronomy says that God set before us life, which is good, and death, which is evil, right? And so the knowledge of good and evil came and basically said, life is good, death is evil. To have life is good, to have death is evil. To see life is good, to see death is evil, right? So in the moment we see somebody trusting in their own strength for life, we can see the fruit of death coming out of them. And then we judge their heart and we judge them as evil because of the fruit of death we see because we all know death is evil. We all know it's not good, right? And then we judge a person's heart based on the fruit that we see, right? That's, that's how it, it goes down. And that's why, you're so, that's why the world is so quick to, to level that, that judgment. In and out. Mm. Jesus didn't level that judgment. <coughs> he said, I know what is in man. Yeah. He didn't judge man as evil. He judged what was in man as evil. Mm. Yeah. 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 And he said also, it has no part in me. Yeah. Death. Death has nothing in him. He is life. Right? So even should all death come upon him, it can't move in his heart because he is eternal life. Right? Try convincing eternal life that death can kill you. <laughs> Or that, that eternal life is lacking. Or that eternal life isn't whole. Eternal life isn't, isn't, it isn't that it can bring forth something and then you're whole. It's that eternal life is just whole already. Right? And so there's nothing lacking in it. There's, there's no possibility for anything to be stolen from it. As it stands, it stands whole. Right? And that's what Jesus tried to come and give us. Was a life that's already whole. So we could become persuaded that our life is whole, lacking nothing. And then what would happen is death would no longer have anything in us, right? And we would no longer live in the world worshiping everything under the sun to try to have life. Even the good things, it sounds funny, but even the good things are the things we're most apt to turn into an idol, right? Like peace. Does anybody think peace is evil? Okay, well, if you're worshiping peace, guess what? That's evil. 
Does anybody think joy is evil? Okay, well, if you're worshiping joy, that's evil. Right? And so if you're seeking peace instead of the life that produces peace, then peace has become an idol unto you. And now you're worshiping peace. And that will leave you to laboring to try to gain peace. Right? Where you'll end up judging yourself after the flesh. Right? Where you're, you're judging yourself to see if you, you feel peace or not. Right? And then you start seeking the feeling of peace instead of the life that's whole, that has peace in it. Right? You won't be seeking the life. You'll be seeking the feeling of peace. And every time you don't feel peace, do you know what you say to yourself? My life is evil. What's wrong with me? I don't see God. I'm not experiencing God. Where's God? Right? Because you've actually... And that's why it says the serpent is subtle. It's, more, it's easier for him to deceive us with things that are good, like peace and love and joy. Right? Love. Everybody thinks love is good. Right? Well, is it good to try to find love in the world? No. no. Does anybody think that works out well? Okay, so that would be evil. Right? You see, that's worshiping love. Right? Instead of the one who has life, a life in himself that can produce love. Right? And so, man, it's so easy for, it's, it's the easiest for the good things to become idols. Especially in the body of Christ. Right? Signs, wonders, and miracles have become an idol. You just read my mind. It's like the guy who tried to purchase the ability to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Sign on the sorcerer. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was a sorcerer, but I didn't say it because I couldn't remember for sure yet. But he was a guy who was into that kind of thing. And instead of looking to the life that produced it, he tried to buy the gift. Yeah. Because he was consumed with the power. Yeah. He was worshiping the power and the authority right. instead of calling upon the life or the one who has the life in himself that even makes death bow down. Yes. Right? And we have whole sections of Christianity like that now where we're worshiping our authority. Right? Where our authority is our God. And we're all the time walking around trying to exercise our authority to produce life. But Jesus come and said, that's the, the heart of Satan. He said, I see Satan having fallen from the sky, who looked at himself in the beauty of his own branches. That's our authority. Look how beautiful our authority is. Who looked at his own ability. He looked at the strength of his own branches and said, I will exalt myself. Right? He rejected the river of life that gave him the beauty or that clothed him in beauty. And he started looking at himself and started looking at how he'll exalt himself unto life. Now, we've done that with authority. I know. I grew up in a whole system where we did that with authority, where we say that Jesus gave us the authority, and now we're worshiping our own authority. Our trust is in our own authority to produce life. You have to take your authority. And now we've become full of pride and lifted up in our own hearts. Right? We're worshiping authority. Authority has become an idol. Listen, man, the apostles were not witnesses of their authority. It wasn't in the name of their authority that they were performing miracles, mm -hmm. right? They weren't walking around in the name of my authority, right? And how did them taking their authority work out when they come across the guy who had the son who was demonized? And they couldn't cast him out. You see, because their minds were filled with their authority. They were rejoicing in their authority. They weren't beholding the life that is whole, the life that is perfect, the life that even lords it over sin and death. They weren't declaring the life that conquers sin and death in the flesh. They were idol-worshiping their authority. Right? And, and that's what, what's happened. Right? It's not in the name of your authority that you do things. Right. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means something. It's talking about the life he has in himself that is whole, that is perfect, that is so much it fills all things, that is so much that nothing can be added to it and nothing can be subtracted from it. And that is one of the most difficult things for human beings to believe in a world that's shadowed by death. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, he who has the Son has life, your life is whole. Right. You can't add any more wholeness to it. You can't add any more perfection to it. It is perfect, right? Jude would come and say that our faith is made powerful through the acknowledging of every good thing that's in us. And so what good thing is in you? I mean, if you, we're, we're talking about believers here. The life of the Father is in you. And that life is whole. That life is perfect. That life is incorruptible. And as you begin acknowledging that life, right, as you begin beholding that life, whatever word you want to use, right, to describe fellowshipping with that life, man, faith becomes active inside of you. Because now you're walking 
in the power of an indestructible life, right? But your mind is filled with the life, not with the power. You know, when you, when you think about uh, most of the miracles that Jesus performed, healing people in particular, he walked around in the earth. And it doesn't say that he was healing those people as a sign. It became a sign, and it was a sign to the people. But he was walking around in the earth being himself. It'd be like if, if you had an ability to heal people's diseases. It was just in you. you were, it, that was in you to be able to do that. And you're walking around on earth, and you see somebody that's sick. Now, what kind of guy would you be? having the ability to heal like God, and you don't heal. But he, he walked around in the earth, and he healed in, in a couple of places in the scriptures, it says, everyone that came to him. Okay. It was like in him to do it. The only places he didn't do it was where unbelief dwelled. There was, there was this resistance to him that caused him not to be able to do many miracles in those in those areas. Mm-hmm. But in general, when he walked around in the earth, he wouldn't say, well, let me do something so I can convince them that I'm uh, God. He wasn't doing that. He was walking in, in the earth being himself. And he had the capability of healing people. It's interesting. I was just reading But this. hold on. Oh, yeah. I, I okay. want to qualify the statement. Okay. Because... Jesus was sent in the earth to declare everlasting life. His whole life was a declaration of that. Right. So I, I know what you're saying, but right. I don't want anybody watching online to separate that. Mm-hmm. Right? And how would you declare everlasting life in a world that's filled with sin and death? What would that look like? It would look like the manifestation of that life. That's right. So... What you're saying is absolutely true, that Jesus was just going around being himself. This is what he saw the Father doing. This is who he saw the Father is. Also within that, the Father gave Jesus commandment that he would walk around declaring the Father by declaring the life the Father has in himself. So these things were Jesus just being himself. And they were also declaring the kind of life the Father has in Himself. Sure. Right? Absolutely. And the, the unbelief. I've been twisting on this a lot because I've been reading all these verses a lot. The, the, the part where it says that, that Jesus wasn't able to do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. But then it goes on to describe, after that say, except He did heal some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we we tend to just read our own thoughts into the mighty miracles, meaning that he didn't heal a bunch of people like we we think of healing. But in light of the, the account with the ten lepers, Jesus healed the nine, but he wasn't able to do a mighty miracle in them because they didn't believe on what the healing meant and they didn't glorify God or call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is, when it says he, that he wasn't able to do many mighty miracles, what I'm saying is, I think he was healing people in his hometown, but because all those people were like, that's the carpenter's son. None of them saw what he was doing as a sign that he had come from above and that he was carrying the life from heaven in his hand, in himself. And so when he was walking around healing people, he healed a whole bunch of people like he healed their physical infirmity. But none of them called upon the name of the Lord. None of them then glorified God, which would be the mighty work. Right? That's what would make them whole. So it's more like Jesus wasn't able to make them whole. Right? Because none of them saw the healings he performed and saw it as a sign that heaven had invaded the earth. That he was come from above. That he had a life in himself that came from above. And that he was now the manifestation of the Father in their midst. Right? And that he was there to serve them with the Father's life. That the kingdom of God had drawn near. None of them saw it as a sign of that. So none of them were made whole. Even though a bunch of them were healed. Right? Just like the lepers were healed. But they weren't made whole. 
But was one of them made whole? One. The one. One. Yeah. So they just saw Jesus as another Simon the Sorcerer. Yeah. I mean, Jesus wasn't the first guy that came along that was performing miracles. Right. Right? That are the magic tricks. I mean, there's a reason why they call him Simon the Sorcerer. I mean, you have the, the guy, Pharaoh's magicians right, right. that threw down their staffs. Right? It, it, see, that's when the body of Christ can become completely deceived, too. Because if you worship signs and wonders and miracles, right. you can real easily start following a witch doctor. Yep. You could real easily start following a sorcerer. Right. You could real easily start following someone with a familiar spirit because you're worshiping authority and power, not seeing the life that those things were actually declaring, not seeing what it was declaring about Jesus and that he had come from above with the life that the Father has in himself. Right. And so now, instead of worshiping Jesus, and I don't mean worshiping Jesus the man, instead of looking at Jesus and calling upon the name of the Father, you're now worshiping every single person that you think can perform a magic trick. Right? Yeah. That's, a, that's a cult. That's a cult. And th there's whole sections of the body of Christ that have fallen prey yeah. Yeah. to that kind of a thing. Because they rejoice in signs, wonders, and miracles uh -huh. instead of that their names are written in heaven. Meaning, the book of life. Instead of rejoicing in what it means to have an incorruptible life. You see, because if your rejoicing is in that you have an incorruptible life guess what? You already believe you're whole. So you're not so easily swayed by someone who can perform a magic trick, right? Because you're not looking at what they can do as if it can add something to the life you have. You already have a perfect life. You already have a life that's whole. So you're not running from town to town seeking to find some miracle so you can believe your life is whole. You see the difference? And so you can't be tossed to and fro, right? You guys follow that? Yep. Yes. You guys understand what Maurice just said and what I just said would be like to contrast it with the scriptures. It'd be like if I wrote a gospel and Maurice wrote a gospel. We might describe it differently, but they go together and say the same thing. Because it would take more than one person to talk to explain God. Right? And so you would most certainly need a gospel explaining this is just God being himself. Right? This is God being Father. Right? It'd be like John saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. And we beheld His glory. Right? And then you would also need a gospel of like Matthew talking about that this is the Messiah. Right? That this is the sign that He's come from heaven. Mm -hmm. Right? And you would have all of that. Does that make sense to everybody? It would be like if you were a believer too and you felt like you had to go about the earth proving who you were. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you have to prove who you are? Do you? No. Or are you just who you are? In him and he in you yeah you walk around being who you are in him I am yes right. I just heard on the TV this morning <clears throat> flipping channels that this uh, Catholic priest saying if you were accused of being a Christian would there be enough evidence to convict you mm -hmm. right and I was thinking there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you <laughs> but I talk to the That's TV right. all the time. But you talk to the TV. <laughs> oh. But the point is, isn't that a temptation to do exactly what you were just sure, describing? Sure, absolutely. It's like, oh yeah, I do this, that, and this, and that, and then this, and this. If I have to prove myself to you, then I'm looking to you for my justification. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, Satan tempted Jesus to perform a miracle. Sure. Yeah, and right. he tempted him to look at his ability to perform a miracle. To serve himself with life. Find life in the miracle you can perform. Yes. That's what he tempted him to do. Yeah. Right? You don't have life. Right? Now perform a miracle so you can give yourself life. Yeah. That's what he tempted him to do. But Jesus just saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. Right? That is the life of God. And so the Father had just bestowed, and I don't want to say Jesus isn't the life, but it's more like stirred up by way of remembrance, where he's about to go off and be tempted. His ministry is about to start. And so the, the life of God comes shining down in his word upon Jesus. And what Jesus ends up thinking and what Jesus is fellowshipping with is, I have the Father's life. And Jesus even goes on to say in John 6 that those who, who eat my, the bread that I came to serve them, 
Just as I live in the Father, just as my life is the life that's in the Father, they will live in me, and the life that's in them will be my life. Jesus is going off into the desert realizing his life is whole. His life is perfect. His life comes from above. His life can't be stolen from. His life can't die. His life can't be killed. His life can't be added to. There's nothing you could add to his life. And there he is, experiencing the weakness or the death that's in the world, and Satan comes to him to deceive him, to try to get him to look to his ability or his power or his authority to perform a miracle and to feed himself with life with the miracle. Right. That's the serpent's wisdom. That Look to the branches. Look to your authority. Look to the power you have to perform a miracle. Feed yourself with your miracle. Right? And what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't labor for the meat that perishes. Right. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to labor for the meat that perishes. Right? But he didn't labor for the meat that perishes. Right? He labored for the meat that doesn't perish. Right. You know the meat that doesn't perish? The life of God. Yes. That can't perish. Right? right. The bread that comes from heaven mm -hmm. can't perish. Mm -hmm. And so there's Jesus. Right? Not laboring for the meat that perishes. Right. You see the temptation to labor for the meat that perishes? This is what messes people up. This is why we get so confused. Do you see that the meat that perishes was the miracle? Let's say Jesus turned the stones into bread. And he ate the bread. Is that going to give him eternal life? No. Is that the kind of life that can never die again? Will that keep him from ever being hungry again? If he does that. Will that keep him from ever thirsting again? No. Okay, so it's perishing. It's passing away. Yeah. Right? You see? Yeah. Yes. So the eternal life of God is the only thing that can insulate your heart against the temptation common to man. Yeah. It, it, it not only makes you whole, but it keeps you yeah. from being tempted to think right. that you're not whole. Yeah. And it discerns all things. Because I promise you, if you're trying to use your natural mind to discern these oh, yeah. things that we're talking you, about with you, peace and love you, and joy you, and signs, wonders, and miracles, yeah. you can have a real hard problem. Because if you can't see the wholeness of eternal life and then look at a sign, wonder, and miracle and see that a sign, wonder, and miracle is not the same substance as the life that produces it, you're going to be tossed to and fro. And most people know signs, wonders, and miracles are good. They're good. They're good. And so now we look at signs, wonders, and miracles from the foundation of the knowledge of good and evil, where we say signs, wonders, and miracles are good. It's good not to be sick. It's evil to be sick. And now we're using that knowledge to try to bring about what we say is good, which is to be healed, and to eradicate what we say is bad, which is to be sick. And if we can use our authority to bring that about, that will be the power for us to attain unto life. That's why it's so deceiving. I'll, I'll confess, and I can laugh about it now, that I got sucked into that. And I studied and outlined every account of healing in the New Testament, every one of them. Cataloged them and even calculated the percentage of time that Jesus physically touched someone. It was like 73% or something like that. Whatever the number was. Because I was trying to uh, find what was the most effective way for people to become saved. Yeah. And, and, and I was trying to emulate that. And I was, I was trained to do that. Mm. And it was, uh, I can look back and say, that's so stupid, you know. And I, I can laugh about it, but at the time I was serious. I mean, I studied yeah. it and outlined it, and you know, you pray, you command, you don't pray, you do this, you don't do that, and all this. It, it's easy to fall into when you have a zeal for for people to want to have life, but you can't you can't in your own power make someone have life. No. You can only point them to life. That's right. And life points them to the Father, and the Father wants His life and His children. Right. That's, that's all you can do. And you know, it's easy to fall into when you want life. Yeah. Right? Right. And you don't see that you have life. Right. Right? And what happens is, is just like we're talking about with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we've built our understanding of signs, wonders, and miracles on a perishable life. Yep. Instead of on an incorruptible life. Right? right? So now, we look at a life that's perishing we say it doesn't have life, and we say the power for this life that's perishing to have life is signs, wonders, and miracles, right? And now we go about trying to produce signs, wonders, and miracles thinking that's the bread that will serve them with life. Right. But that's not the bread that's from heaven. 
That's the bread that's perishing, right? And the only we could I could sit in the healing service and 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 perform all the signs and wonders and miracles you could imagine. I could heal everybody in there, and if afterwards everybody in there doesn't know that that's not the bread that doesn't perish, that that's not the power for them to have life, but that the life that's in God is the power. It's done what I just did. It's worthless what I just did. And if I send them off thinking that what I just did was give them life, I'm a witch doctor. I've just performed witchcraft and I've filled people with a lust for life in the world and I've come and I've looked at the signs and wonders and miracles like the old man would look at it and I've taught them from the perspective of the old man who's clothed in death who needs life instead of there's a life that doesn't need to be clothed there's a life that does clothe right and it, the whole thing becomes corrupted right and so you could see I mean Jesus saw that all the time yeah you saw me and I, I'm becoming more and more persuaded about the he performed he, he was not able to do many mighty works, save heal a few people. I'm becoming more and more persuaded that Jesus is talking about, oh, I came and healed everybody, but seeing they didn't see, and hearing they didn't hear, that they believe on me. They didn't believe on me, and so he was not able to do many mighty works. That's what he's talking about, right? But we've come and made the signs, wonders, and miracles the power to have life. Mm -hmm. But they're not. They're not the power to have life. Yeah, you can, you can turn it around this way and say, is there a work that's mightier than a man being convinced uh, that God is his Father such that the life of the Father is born in the person? Is there a work that's mightier than that? Mm -hmm. No. So that tells you what kind of mighty work he was right. talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Right? We, we've never discerned that yeah. properly. We've made it, well, he wasn't able to heal as many people as he wanted to heal in the sense of the nine lepers. Because and, and, they then, and then the argument that follows was because their unbelief and their before you have to have faith. Yes. You have to have your own little small f faith. You have to have your faith in order to receive the miracle. Right. And because you don't, well, it's not my fault because I didn't hear you. It's your fault because you didn't believe. Yep. And that's that's how that cycle goes. Yeah, yeah. It, the the unbe the unbelief would be that they weren't believing that he come from heaven. Jesus says it over and over in his gospels. You saw the miracles but you did not believe on me. He says it over and over. So the mighty work is if they would believe on him. Yeah. After he tells them to, to not labor for the meat that perishes, but to labor for the meat that doesn't perish, and they come and ask him, how do we labor for the meat that doesn't perish? That's when he says, what are the works of God that we might work them? Yep. We lose sight of the context. They, they're asking him. He just told them, don't labor for the meat that perishes. What meat does, is he talking about? He just multiplied the fishes and the loaves. He's talking about the signs. He's talking about the miracles and the wonders. But labor for the meat that doesn't perish. Well, how can we perform that labor? How do we labor for meat that doesn't perish? Then he goes on to say, I'm the meat that doesn't perish. I'm the bread that's from heaven. The sign I just performed, it wasn't about feeding your belly. It was trying to declare to you that I am the bread from heaven. And I have a life in me that will feed you with a life that will never perish, that can leave you in the place where you're never hungry for life again. And But then they say something ridiculous to them. Listen, and it's not their fault. When you're dead in sin, you don't think straight. When you're captivated by death, it's impossible to think straight. There isn't a single person that can think straight when death has stung them, right? They, well, what work will you do to show us? I just did all these works. I've been doing them, and yet none of you have believed on me, right? Then he goes into the work he will do, and he starts talking about his body and his blood. He starts talking about, unless you eat me, Right? You have not the life that doesn't die. Right? Mm. He starts talking about the one sign. Yep. Right? That's why he goes into one sign will be given. There's actually only one sign you can look to that will actually be the meat that doesn't perish, that will actually feed you with the meat doesn't perish. And he says the sign of Jonah in the belly of the whale. And he's talking about himself going into the grave and the grave not being able to hold him because the Father has given that the Father's life would dwell in him and that life is whole. And all the corruptness in the world can't make that life unwhole. And so now he comes out of the grave 
And now we begin feeding on the body of his resurrection, meaning we see ourselves made whole inside of his body. We see our life having been cleansed from death inside of his body. Right. We see our life having overcome this world and overcome death in the flesh inside of his body. We see all of that inside of his body. We see sickness can't hold us down. We see there's no disease that can hold us down. We see there's no disease that can corrupt our life. And now we start being invigorated with the power of an indestructible life, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about there. And we've, we've done the very thing that all those people did. They hadn't believed on Him, right. right? We're trying to get a sign so that we can have life. And the life is in Him. And He's given it to us. Now that doesn't mean you don't come to Him when you're weak or when you have an infirmity. And that doesn't mean that there won't be signs and wonders and miracles. But what it means is our joy, our reverence, our awe is in the life. That is the power behind the signs, wonders, and miracles, not the signs, wonders, and miracles themselves. And it's a subtle thing, and we ought to, it ought to not confuse us that it's a subtle thing, because it says the serpent is the most subtle of all the beasts in the field. And so he requires subtlety to deceive people. That's why it's called deceiving. If it was just obvious, it couldn't be deceiving. Do you understand? Do you understand? Why do you think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was so deceiving? Go and read about it in Ezekiel 28. It says it was clothed in beauty. They say it looked good for food. Right. It, and, and since it's clothed in beauty, it must be that it possesses the wisdom to be able to clothe me in the beauty. Yeah. And so it's very deceiving because it looks beautiful. Listen, man, mm -hmm. signs, wonders, and miracles look beautiful. They look good for food. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's a validation, supposedly, is, is how they view it or see it. It's a validation. Also, it's... We think that's what gives people life. Uh. It's how they qualify Catholics. It's interesting, like with Catholic saints, you know, like how, like, oh, they perform one miracle, they get one level of, yeah. like, you have to perform yeah. X amount, and yeah, yeah. then you end up worshiping the saint. You, you know, to, <laughs> and then they lose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, so to the extent where, where you're, like, trying to crack something open and study and study and study. I, I remember having a, a moment of, okay, I know this, I understand this, I have this all sorted out. And then the table is moved, <laughs> or it's even turned over. And I go, what is the deal with this? I thought I had this figured out, you know? And it, it, it's, it's a, we, I've heard it say cognitive dissonance, but you still know that whatever foundation you thought you were standing on just got moved. And you, you kind of like have a little fight with God about, you know, how am I ever going to know this? And I was having a moment like that. And then all of a sudden he said, uh, Phil, there's no end to me. And you wouldn't want it any other way. And I kind of said, you're right. <laughs> I mean, I, it, the idea of studying something, it becomes an adventure and an ongoing thing where you're uncovering like the mysteries of the kingdom, I guess. Not so much, now I know the way unto life. You know, it's, 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 it's like part of the romance. That's, that's how I got put in my place. But I definitely had a tantrum about it. Because I didn't like having having my sure place of oh I understand this. You had your ducks in a row. Yeah, taken from me. And now now it's like okay, what are you gonna turn over this time? You know, it it, it becomes a little. I'm not surprised by it. I'm actually happy about seeing things unfold, and it goes on and on. It, it's that we make the kingdom mysterious. And. The, the mystery has been revealed. Mm. The mystery of the kingdom is that in God is a life that is whole, that even swallows death. Yeah. And he has given that we could have that life also in ourselves through the man Jesus. That's the mystery of the kingdom. Now, that life will illuminate your sight. Mm. It will heal your blindness. And it will cause you to start seeing everything clearly. And you'll start to see all the things that you thought pertain to mm. the kingdom 
or pertain to having the life that's in the kingdom aren't really pertaining to that at all, right? That all those things you thought were were needed for the, the life that's in the kingdom, you'll start seeing that all those things, you looked them, at them that way because you were still looking through the eyes of the old man. You were still looking at the kingdom through the eyes of a life that can die instead of looking at the kingdom through the lens of a life that can't die, right? It's like Matt keeps saying where, and he could say it better than me, but where you're looking on the life, you're looking on the gospel from the perspective of the wisdom of the world. Yeah. Or like the, the example he uses is if you were blind, right? Uh, but, but then you can see. You wanna, do you know the example I'm talking about? Yeah, go, yeah. go ahead and you, I'll let you say it. No, I mean, you were right there. It's just so you're, somebody born blind and their eyes are popped open, well, but they've never seen before. So their eyes are open, they're seeing clear, but they don't know what they're seeing. So, I mean, can you imagine if if I had my eyes pop open, it's like, what is it? <laughs> it's kind of like when the manna fell in the wilderness. What is it? Yeah, yeah. But, so then what you, your recourse is to look to the wisdom that you've been operating in to try to interpret that because that's the only wisdom you've ever known to operate from. That's right. And so what's happened in the body of Christ is we've tried to look on the kingdom and the gospel and the mystery that was revealed from the wisdom of the world. Not first seeing the wisdom of the world made foolish at the cross. Right. You know what one of the things he made foolish? That the sign you have life is whether your flesh looks strong or not. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things he made look mm -hmm. foolish. Mm -hmm. Yet, we think the sign of a person having life if I, is if I can perform a healing miracle and their flesh can go from looking weak to looking strong. Mm -hmm. Yet, Jesus made that foolish at the cross. So, we, 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 we haven't first seen the wisdom of the world made foolish and then looked on the gospel and the kingdom from that foundation. Right. We've continued with the wisdom of the world and now we've tried to look on the gospel and the kingdom of God from the yep. perspective of the wisdom of the world, right? And now we've described it from the, the way the old man would describe it. Right. And I said this years ago, we, we tried to describe the gospel from the mind of Adam as if Adam saw things properly. Adam didn't see things properly. And so if we build our understanding of the gospel on Adam's false conclusions, that God had abandoned him, that God was angry with him, that God did forsake him, that God didn't love him because of his sin, if we build our gospel on that foundation, we built it on the foundation of the wisdom of the world. And that's how we dream up things like penal substitution. Yep. Right? And penal substitution doesn't mean that there needed to be a substitute. What it means is that the punishment of death comes from the hand of God and not from the hand of sin, mm -hmm. right? But God come and said, who told you you were naked? Do you know what he was saying? I'm not the one that uncovered your nakedness. It isn't me. You're running and hiding from me because you're afraid of me, but I'm not the one that came and uncovered your nakedness. Satan was ordained the anointed cherub. He was anointed to be a covering cherub. He was the one who changed his first estate. And instead of being a covering cherub, he became an uncovering cherub. What that means is in the day you partake of his wisdom, his wisdom will uncover your nakedness. And so there's Adam seeing his nakedness is uncovered because he ate from the tree. And he's thinking God's the one that uncovered his nakedness because God was angry that he ate from the tree. And then God comes and says, it's not me who uncovered your nakedness. My wisdom clothes. My wisdom doesn't uncover. Let me show you what I do. And then he clothes him with the lamb, with the life of his lamb. But we've got a whole, the whole Western Christianity has built their understanding of the gospel on the wisdom of the world, on the mind of, the fallen mind of Adam, a mind stained by sin and death. And now we've come and described God according to that mind, and we've described the gospel according to that mind. And it's no wonder that we're still struggling to experience peace and love and joy because we're not really busy with the life that's in God. Yep. Right? We see that same dynamic happening in a lot of ministries that want to grab hold of the, the label, the grace message, and they come and preach about the law of Moses as if it was some evil thing. And what they're doing when they're doing that, they're saying the carnal mind got it right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the perfect example of misinterpreting uh, a sign with uh, the truth. Uh, it, just misunderstand. When I was a little kid, I had a, I had a, a Peking duck, a big white duck. And, uh, 
I'm not going to tell you how I got him, but I, I had him as a pet. To Chinese restaurant. And he got sick. <laughs> and uh, having been raised Catholic, uh, it was right around the time uh, that you, the, the priest would allow you to take the host in your hand. Okay. And what do you say when you go up? You say, I'm not worthy to receive you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which you start with a lie, okay? Because <laughs> God says we're worthy, all right? Anyway, <laughs> I never knew the term transubstantiation as a kid, but as a kid, I thought the life is in the host. It's in the Eucharist. So I took the host in my hand. I faked like I ate it, and I stuck it in my pocket. So when I got home, I climbed a fence, and I sat in front of my duck, and I said, body of Christ. Because <laughs> I thought the duck eating the host would be healed. Oh. And uh, like three days later, he died. Oh. And so I went and told my mother about it, and uh, she was crying with laughter. <laughs> she was crying with laughter. But... That's a precious story. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a precious memory of my mother because she wasn't mad. She just thought this is a child who thought that he could give life to an animal that he loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the life isn't in the host. Right, right. The life is in what the host represents the person Jesus right. Christ. Right. Right. But I faked that priest out. I even kneeled down in front of the duck, body of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Did you tell him he wasn't worthy? <laughs> That's what it was. The duck thought he was worthy. I already knew the duck was worthy because I love the duck. See, that's what made the duck worthy of mine. It's the same thing with God. Isn't that interesting how all that working in you? Yeah. Right? That un- you, you understood, but you didn't know that why you understood. You didn't have to put words to it. You understood. Mm-hmm. Does everybody have any thoughts or comments? Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So good. Je- I mean, Jesus told the guys that when they couldn't heal the, the man's son, it's because of your unbelief. unbelief. Right now, you connect that with what he says about them rejoicing in their authority, mm-hmm. and that even the demons are subject to them. And he says, "I see Satan falling from the sky," and he tells them not to rejoice in their authority, right? But to rejoice that their names are written in heaven, right? And so now they come to heal that guy, but their mind is filled with their authority. Their mind isn't filled with the life that's come from heaven, yeah. right? And they become like the sons of Sceva. Right? The sons of Sceva were worshiping authority. And they tried to take authority and cast out the evil spirits. And what did the spirits say? Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Yeah, that's right. And so that's what will happen if you end up in a section like I was in, where you're worshiping authority. Right? You'll find that the power that comes from the life isn't really there because your mind isn't filled with the life. Your mind is filled with the authority, right? And now the authority is your food for life instead of the life is your food for life, right? Jesus wasn't walking around thinking that he could take authority. Like Maurice said, he wasn't walking around thinking, I'm going to take authority. He wasn't walking around thinking, if I can multiply the fishes and the loaves, that's what will feed these people with life. He wasn't walking around thinking, if I could heal their leprosy, then they'll be whole. He wasn't walking around thinking that the signs, wonders, and miracles were the bread from heaven. He wasn't looking at that as if it was the meat that could feed these people with life. That's not how he was looking at it. He himself wasn't rejoicing in the miracles. And that doesn't mean that you're not happy, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Rejoice means to revere or to esteem something. And the way he's talking about it there is I'm not esteeming these miracles I'm performing as if those things can actually feed people with life. My joy, the esteem I have in my heart, is the life that the Father has in himself that he's given that I could have in myself. And the thing that's in my mind is that this life is whole. This life is perfect. This life can even lord it over sin and death in the flesh. And now he was walking around with that life manifesting, right? And the end goal wasn't that he could just heal the leper. The end goal was that in the leprosy being healed, in the death in the flesh being healed, that the people would see or rejoice not just in the leprosy being healed, In fact, that they wouldn't rejoice in that. But rather, they rejoice that in this guy, Jesus, is a life that overcomes death in the flesh. That's what I'm needing. I'm needing a life that makes whole. I'm needing a life that is wholeness. I'm needing a life that's been perfected from the sin and death in this world. 
right? And that's what was in Jesus' mind when he was going around praying for the sick. He was declaring the kingdom. You, you find it everywhere. He was declaring the kingdom. It, they say heal the sick. You know one of the stupidest things we ever said? And I say this with all humility. People don't actually think I'm humble because I say things with so much boldness. Listen, I don't think anything of myself. I don't think anything of my ability, right? But we used to say things like, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. But we were rejoicing in signs, wonders, and miracles. And so we were esteeming signs, wonders, and miracles. We were esteeming the power instead of the life that produces the power. Right? And so then we'd actually come and act like, you don't need any words. You don't need the gospel. You just got to perform. Right? And we would say things like that, and we thought, that's powerful. Look at these fools over here preaching the gospel. Look at these morons talking about Christ and him crucified. <laughs> right? Do you, do you know how you heal the sick? You preach the gospel. Amen. You know how you heal the sick? You declare a life that is whole. You declare the life the Father has in himself. You declare the life that overcame death in the flesh in the body of Jesus' resurrection. You declare the life that can even lift off of you the burden of death. You declare that God has a life in himself that has put off corruption that has put off sin and death. You declare that life, and you serve a, a people with a table filled with the flesh of Jesus, the meat that doesn't perish, the body of his resurrection. There's the meat that doesn't perish. My flesh is meat indeed. You see? That's what you come declaring, so people can feed on a life that is whole. Right? And that life that is whole will produce peace and love and joy. And you can see signs, wonders, and miracles following you. I've already had people call me telling me they were healed because of the message. Crying. Glory to God. Wow. Yeah. Hallelujah. And see, now you're not worshiping signs, wonders, and miracles. Right. You're not worshiping peace, love, and joy. I it's so deceiving, but I promise you, you can find yourself in the place where you're worshiping peace so much that you think the feeling of peace is the sign of whether you have life or not. In the moment you don't feel peace, you judge it to mean you don't have life. Where's God? I'm not really experiencing God. Well, that's because you're thinking that God is found in the feeling of peace. But if you want to experience God, you start thinking about the life God has in himself. And as you think about the life God has in himself and what that life does and how that life gets down and what that life looks like in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, man, you'll start finding yourself experiencing God. The way you know God is by partaking with Him in His life. But God's life is not needing the feeling of peace in order to be whole. God's life is not the, needing the feeling of joy in order to be whole. And that's why in the day He could feel angst or stress come upon His body, He's not doing anything to try to deal with it because He's functioning from a life that's already whole. And even the weakness of this mortal body cannot subtract from the life that I have inside of this earthen vessel. Right? And that's where he was living from. We've made, brothers, as I'm telling you, we've made the meat that perishes the bread from heaven. And that's what we've been trying to prepare the table with. Right? Instead of the meat that doesn't perish. Right? And that's why Jesus would come and say it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Right before that, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, speaking of their doctrine. And then he goes on to say that they're always seeking a sign. You know what a wicked and adulterous generation? Adultery doesn't mean that they're off sleeping with their neighbor's wife when he says a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. He's talking about a generation that is seeking to perfect their lives in the world through signs. You know, They're fornicating with their own strength. I was going to say, you know, for a wicked generation that's seeking after a sign, this is what the Lord did to reveal, actually, a sign to reveal their unbelief. Because they are seeking after a sign, okay? But he says, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had a withered hand, rise up and stand before in the midst. And he uh, arose and stood before him. Then Jesus said unto them, 
I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Valid question, I would say, you know. And he looked around upon them, and he said to the man, Stretch forth, forth thy hand. And he did so, and his other hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. So here Jesus is, performed a miracle, did good, saving life. There was nothing ill in what Jesus did to that man's hand. But it exposed to them the, the evil that was dwelling in their hearts mm -hmm. seeking after a sign and seeing a sign and not even believing on seeing the sign. <laughs> Which is why Isaiah would say who has believed the report. That's how he made Listen, their hearts hard. He was a masterful teacher no. and you know earlier I said he, he was walking around just being himself, God in the flesh. Yeah. Okay, But in this particular case he healed with a specific purpose to reveal to them their unbelief that they might believe yeah. because things were going on here. And for people that read the scriptures in Isaiah where it talks about that God will make their heart hard, it doesn't mean God will force on something that isn't there. It's that God will come and manifest the truth right. and yes. it will reveal the hardness of their heart yes. and the blindness that's already in them. Exactly. And that example that Maurice just read, it perfectly explains what Isaiah was prophesying about. Yes. Who has believed their report? Yes. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Yep. Right? <laughs> Glory to God! <laughs> the, oh, real quick before the end, the mighty works. Like Thomas said, I, I don't, I don't want to move off of that because we, we, we probably explain those passages probably like you never thought about before. The mighty work Jesus came to do was it to heal the physical infirmity, like we think of an injury or a bodily illness, or was it to get people to call upon the name of the Lord? Okay, he could do not many mighty works in his hometown because when he healed the people, they seen, they didn't see, hearing, they didn't hear, and they didn't call upon the name of the Lord that they might be converted and made whole. That's the mighty work that they weren't able to do. Okay? It's not, well, if you would just believe, then you could get more of your injuries healed. Glory to God. That was a great example. Yeah. A great example. Yeah.